Hello and welcome to Dear Sadie. My name is Benny, and if your name is not Sadie or Amelia Prabhu, thank you for tuning in to see what this is all about. And if you are Amelia or Sadie, hope you girls are doing well. So, if this is the first episode you're listening to, this podcast is a love letter to my daughter Sadie through a series of conversations with friends and family on different topics that are important to me, and some I hope that she will find interesting and worth listening to. At the time of recording this, Sadie is just over nine months old, and needless to say, I hope that this will be a gift she will appreciate in the coming years. So this episode, I wanted to focus on the concept of community. We hear it all the time, in the news, at church, social media, and so on. And depending on the stages of our lives, community can mean different things to different people. So I wanted to have a conversation with someone who can speak to this better than me, and that brings me to this episode's guest, Josh White. Josh is a friend who's involved in the Charlottesville community in different roles, the primary one being his daytime job, a realtor. I spoke with Josh about what brought him to town, what community means to him, his observations on how society has changed since COVID-19, and even some reflections on parenting. So stay tuned for all that and more. So Josh, before we get into really what this episode is all about, I'm going to put sure. you on the spot. Um, if Can you name one or two interesting facts about Charlottesville that most people may not know? Wow. Okay. One or two interesting facts about Charlottesville that most people may not know. Yes. Um, I learned recently that the gentleman who helped with Monticello. He was Thomas Jefferson's carpenter also built a house in downtown Charlottesville. Uh, that's on five acres and it's for sale right now for like $3 million and it's only two bedrooms. He actually had a, um, uh, he drowned in the Ravana river. Um, that was his, the, the, his demise. Um, so, but he was, he was swimming, I guess. And, um, but he did several houses that he helped with, uh, Thomas Jefferson. So that's pretty neat of all that, of all that you said, I think the thing that stood out to me was, did you say $3 million for a two bedroom? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's still on the market. <laughs> it was listed like maybe a month ago, but it's really neat. It's, it's kind of feel, has that feel like Monticello does. Um, so so that's kind of one of those things that you wouldn't necessarily know. Um, uh, just yeah. some of the architecture here. Uh, another fact, let's see, another interesting fact about Charlottesville. Um, well, it's home to, it's home to a lot more um, celebrities than, than you probably think. Um, and then also just people that have had impacts on, on history and people that are doing some pretty amazing stuff um, from a business perspective too. So, right. Uh, yeah, I just learned today actually that there is a company 
um, that is trying to basically, they, they just took over a lot of the state farm building, um, Bonamos is what they're called, and they're making a sugar that's like a, a, a healthy sugar. And so supposedly going to change the future of um, kind of the way we flavor stuff. So and that's oh. here in Albemarle County. That's interesting. Yeah, when I uh, when we moved to Charlottesville, uh, and it's me and Abigail, we knew that Charlottesville was known for its history, in terms of you know the, the three presidents that are either born here or kind of have called this region home at various points. You know, we we know about Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, and James Monroe. Um, so we knew about that aspect of it. But like you said, like you mentioned, yes, this region is also home to quite a few celebrities or who have made some mark. Uh, like, for instance, I just recently found out that uh, the Dave Matthews Band, they were a college band in Charlottesville. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And some of the band members still live here or at least call this their home. That's that right. Was, yeah. That was very interesting to me when I found out. I mean, it, it is a nice, there is a reason why we moved here. Um, so I don't know if you, if we, me and Abigail told you the story of how we moved to Charlottesville. No, no, um, you didn't. So we were living, so after we got married in 2017, uh, we were living in central Pennsylvania. Uh, we were there for the first year of our marriage. And uh, right about towards the end of that first year, um, me and Abigail were having this conversation about, you know, like setting roots and having mm -hmm. children, like starting a family. And we were talking about where would we want, what would we want to call our permanent home, right? And we didn't really have any specific city or town in mind, but we knew the criteria. Like we mm -hmm. wanted it to be somewhere between Pennsylvania and North Carolina, because that's where our families are. And really, that was it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so here's what we did. We typed, uh, we went to Google, we typed uh, best places to live in the US. And narrowed it down to, you know, in our radius that we were looking for. And Charlottesville was on top of that list. So while we were still living in, uh, so we were living in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. So we drove down here to Charlottesville. Uh, we rented an Airbnb. And uh, for a weekend, we just drove around to different places yeah. in town. We went to like Wegmans, Walmart. We drove around to get a sense of the traffic. Uh, we went yeah, to sure. different stores to get a sense of people. And uh, we even did like apartment uh, uh, viewings and all of that just to get an idea, you know, um, how much would it cost? Uh, so we did all of this even before we had decided that this is where we wanted to move to. Um, and I think on day one, out of what was essentially a two and a half day trip, uh, we just felt like, okay, we need to move here. So when we eventually moved we so we moved to Charlottesville probably six or seven months after that trip uh wow that's Abigail, a quick turnaround yeah uh because i was you know working in a remote job so i mm. it was not an issue for me and abigail was working at wegmans uh in pennsylvania so it was just a direct transfer to the wegmans in Charlottesville, and that's how we ended up here <laughs> so, wow that's awesome that's awesome um, so really a google search led you guys kind of 
to and to at least year. at that point in time i don't know if it's if it's still the case charlottesville was on top of you know a lot of the lists um of best places to live and it, and it is yeah. it, it is a, a really nice place and everything else was a bonus like i'm uh, a big history buff and so for me one of the first things we did was go to monticello yeah and just like look up like historical landmarks and all those things but even otherwise you know for people who love outdoors um you know people can go on like walk uh, on trails and, and stuff um and like uh one of my friends uh says charlottesville is an aggressively dog friendly town <laughs> So. <laughs> yeah, aggressively. Yes. I like yeah. that adjective for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it really checks a lot of boxes for people yeah. who are considering um, if they want to move somewhere. Um, now, obviously, a lot of lot more factors go into it, you know, as far as cost of living and economy and all of that. And I don't know how that situation is going to be when Sadie is listening to this and I don't know, 20, 25 years or so. Yeah. <laughs> but that all brings me back to you um i'm just curious about your connection to charlottesville like are you like a native sure. of charlottesville did you move here uh, yeah, why don't you yeah. just share a little bit about yourself absolutely well and thanks for inviting me to do this um yeah so i was born and raised in um, salem virginia so like roanoke area so in the mountains of virginia i've always loved virginia um both my families or both sides of my family kind of had roots here. And then um, we uh, went to JMU, both my wife and I, James Madison, and met there. And then both went to NC State for our master's. And my wife is from Richmond. So we were similar to you guys in the fact that we always knew we wanted to kind of get back to Virginia because our families were basically on both sides of the state. And so um, when we were talking seriously about starting to start a family and like trying to get closer to, to relatives. Um, we really targeted like this area. Um, you know, so, uh, we ended up just my wife, um, my, my wife's mom went to UVA undergrad and had a friend of a friend who knew someone at an architecture firm here. And so Mallory put a resume in and, you know, like got a job pretty quickly and has been at the same firm now for over a decade. Um, or decade this summer. And so um, that's what brought us to Charlottesville. I had always loved Charlottesville. So I remember when I was in like fourth grade and fourth grade in Virginia, you do Virginia history. And so mm -hmm. I was a history guy. I was a history major at JMU. And so um, I remember coming to Monticello and I remember the gift shop. And I remember like, you know, when you're a kid, like the gift shop's the coolest part. But I remember like all the Jefferson stuff. Um, and then also seeing his like his grave and seeing his house and like seeing all the cool inventions that he made um, and always just thinking this was a really neat spot. Um, and so we've we've loved it. We've been here since 2013 now. Have you ever considered moving elsewhere or is this just like where do you want to be for the rest of your life? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, it would really have to be somewhere incredibly interesting or totally a God thing to move us, I think, out of yeah. where we are now, uh, just because our roots have gotten so deep here um, on, on multiple levels. I mean, I feel like it's a, I always tell people it's a big, small town. You know, it's like there's amenities of a bigger place, but mm -hmm. um, you still know people when you go to Wegmans, you know, you run into people that you're going to know almost every time you go. So. Yeah. When, um, I mean, 
for for our listeners, full disclosure, I'm, I'm me and Abigail and the kids. We don't live in Charlottesville right now. We were living in Charlottesville till last month at the time yeah. of recording this, but we moved about 40 minutes uh, away to a town called Waynesboro, which is another really nice town yes. and very similar to Charlottesville in terms of it is not a huge city, right? It, nope. it, it's somewhere in between a big city and a small town. And that's what we've really been chasing. You know, one of the things that me and Abigail, we were talking about before we moved to Charlottesville was we didn't necessarily want to live in a big city um, because mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I lived in, I lived in Pittsburgh for a long time and there are many benefits to living in a big city, but sometimes it feels like in a big city, life just rushes past you You know, everybody's in a hurry um, and getting anywhere <laughs> is a hassle. Oh, yeah. Everything is, 30 to 40 minutes away, even if it's like just a few miles. Um, and yeah, there's no exactly. sense of really getting to know each other. Um, I'm not saying that is the case for everyone, but that is really the general sense that I've gotten. So we always wanted a smaller city or even a mm -hmm. town just to have a sense of community, just to, you know, establish a network of friends and, you know, people that you know, people that you can turn to, um, and all, yeah. all of those. So in, in that respect, both Waynesboro and Charles will just fit that bill perfectly for us. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, and Waynesboro too is absolutely booming. I mean, it's, I mean, they're building like crazy at this point in time and, yeah. um, yeah, it's an up and coming place as far as the way that they're developing right now. So, I mean, you're, you're a big part of, uh, us ending up in Waynesboro. So we probably, uh, let's, let's dive into that. Um, sure. let's talk about what you do and what you enjoy about it. Yeah. So, um, I'm a real, a real estate agent, a realtor. Um, and so, and had the pr pleasure of helping you guys find your home, which was awesome and get connected yeah. through the Flemings and through the point, which is great. Um, yeah, so I've been doing this now since 2015. Um, I came out of education to, to real estate and uh, love helping people through the process, learn the process, and then be able to uh, consult and guide and advise and kind of advocate through the whole the whole process. As um, it's just a fun it's a fun process to be a part of, especially on the buy side, to be able to get people into homes that they're excited about. And you know that. The, the job that you do, um, by its nature, you interact with so many different people from almost different, I wouldn't necessarily say different walks of life, but just different backgrounds, different stories, sure. different motivations. So you essentially interact with the community, right? You get a good cross-section of people from the different areas of the community that you call home. That's the Charlottesville area. So how does that, I guess my question is, how does your role help you to interact with people uh, in the community and what kind of role do you play in community? Yeah, sure. Yeah. That's a really, really cool question. And it's a really cool way to think about what we do. I mean, I feel like realtors a lot of times are gatekeepers for, for communities, you know, and, 
and for better or for worse, you know, I think, you know, um, in the past, real estate agents have been ones who have done really bad things, you know, as far as pushing people to certain areas. And then, you know, now, um, hopefully that's changed and we're at a point where, you know, people are, are showing things through a lens of, of fairness and fair housing. And, you know, and so I think one of the cool things about, you know, what you said is being able to interact with people at different socioeconomic levels of the community, people from different, you know, um, backgrounds, you know, whether it's, um, you know, here, like, you know, locally, or, you know, they've moved from big cosmopolitan cities or from international, you know, places as well. And not just that, but people who are bringing businesses with them here. I mean, you know, during COVID, we saw a lot of people that were re relocating businesses from other places because you could work remotely. And so you have these businesses that otherwise would have been in big, big areas. But for me, right. one thing that I love about our team is being able to work with people kind of across the spectrum of price point, which really allows you to enjoy lots and lots of different um, varieties of projects. And so, I mean, I'll sell a piece of land that's, you know, $75,000 and I'll sell properties that are over a million dollars. And, you know, and there's a lot of similarities and there's a lot of glaring differences between, you know, between clients and between, you know, what the, what the needs and the desires and the motivations are of those, of those people, specifically community. I mean, the thing about real estate that's so fun is, you know, they always joke and say, well, you get to make your schedule. And you kind of do. I mean, it's really dependent on your client's schedule, um, you know, because if a right. client can't see something, you know, when you want to see it, then obviously, you know, that you kind of have to rearrange. But it does give a lot of flexibility to be involved in the community. And, um, you know, specifically for me, that's been putting some some roots down with our church and like really being available for our community group, um, doing men's men's ministry, you know, coffees, um, you know, um, and then also within our association as well. So like advocating for more affordable housing um, right now is one of the big things that we're trying to do as a, an association um, and having a hand, you know, on the marketplace as well. You know, when I reached out to you to ask you if you would come onto the podcast, you mentioned that you were in DC. Um, and I think that kind of ties in with what you were talking about advocating for better housing and all of that. Is there anything you can share about, you know, what, what are you uh, talking about in terms of like, what does that mean for people? Sure. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, obviously, I mean, you guys just went through this, you know, we're in a market right now and, and every 10 years, the market kind of resets itself. And so we're in a market right now where, you know, prices have been high, inflation is high in our economy right now. Um, uh, affordable housing in our college town market is kind of a joke. And so, you know, there is not affordable housing, whether it's rental or um, to buy. And so people are kind of being pushed out to, you know, to more like bedroom communities, um, you know, around us. I mean, even our public defenders, you know, most of our police officers, firefighters, et cetera, and I've worked with a lot of them, you know, can't afford to live in the community in which they serve. And so, you know, right. that becomes a huge, huge question on, how do you how do you like, you know, uh, stimulate the market to allow, you know, people who are like working and living in that market to live there? Because, again, it creates this community that we want that, you know, that we want to have those ties to the community. So, yeah, I was in D.C. It's it, we do a, an annual event. The National Association of Realtors does the legislative meetings where they actually go, you know, before Congress and they, you know, bring 
um, the research that is on the minds um, and, and the hearts, honestly, of the realtor community through their clients. And, you know, this year, a lot of it had to do with affordable housing and trying to stimulate um, more people to put their houses on the market so that we have more inventory because we're at this inventory bottleneck. And so even I think it was just yesterday, the president of the National Association you know, did a hearing before Congress on some of these, uh, some of these things and like how, you know, how can we stimulate the macro economy to allow that to kind of trickle down to these micro economies that we're talking about, um, as well. So when, uh, me and Abigail were even considering the idea of buying our own house, we wanted to stay in Charlottesville. Yeah. But given our budget, given our criteria for what we want, because, you know, we have two kids, we have, we want to have more and, yeah. you know, we need like an office, you know, there are so many different considerations, sure. but all of that was not possible in Charlottesville, which is why we had to move a little outward and, and come to, yeah. and come to Waynesboro. But these are the kind of decisions that families are have to make every day you know if yes. they want to purchase their home what kind of compromises what kind of sacrifices do they make or did they just hold off on it hoping that the market improves that you know they're able to luck out and even if they do get into the process of okay let's go and buy a house it's not straightforward you know a no. lot of the times they have to bid with i don't know how many people on average with 10 other uh you know, buyers that they have to bid for the same house. So exactly, there are yeah. just so many things that families have to consider. And I'm just thinking from the perspective of for Sadie uh, or for people her age in the next 20, 25 years, how does that look? And I know it's very hard to predict so far out, um, but just curious to hear, are there any, um, any principles, any habits that will stand the test of time as far as putting yourself in a good spot, putting yourself in a good position to be able to buy a home. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, there, the, there's timeless things that, that I think allow home ownership to be possible. And I think one of the big things is the value of just a dollar and saving a dollar. And, you know, right. yeah, the idea that if you forego, and I think you hit the word on the head. It's like the sacrifice. It's all about opportunity costs. And I think, you know, as as a dad and as somebody who's tried to do this as well and trying to think about it, it's like, do I forego going to Starbucks to get my favorite drink and put the $3 that I would have spent, you know, to better use? And does that mean like it's going to a 529 or does that mean it's going into maybe an investment property or to my primary residence or something? There's a great book right. that was written. I think this guy was alive in the early 1900s, Napoleon Hill, but there's a book that's called Think and Grow Rich. And it's all about kind of disciplining your mind to think about money. And, you know, and obviously some of it you have to kind of temper. I mean, for me, I temper it with my belief in scripture too, you know, because it's not all about money. I mean, money, money is a tool, but it is a good like idea of like, how do you manage you know, your money. And I, so I think your question, one of the timeless things that you can do is manage your money well. And, you know, I would say as soon as you're old enough to understand, you know, money, putting money aside for something that's bigger, um, 
And I'll share just a funny anecdote. When I was a kid, when I was five, it was, so I was born 1985, 1990, the Nintendo, the original Nintendo was out. And I remember like my parents' friends had one or something and I just like loved it. And I, and I mean, this is one of my clearest memories when, when you're five, you don't have a ton of memories, but I remember this. And my parents were like, if you want one of these, like we will get you one, but you need to save up half of what it costs. Like, which I think they were a hundred bucks or something that, so a hundred dollars in 1990 was a lot, you know? So I saved up 50 bucks mowing my neighbor's grass, doing chores around the house for my dad, you know, picking plants in the garden. We had a big garden. And I remember like at five years old, like, okay, like if I can hit $50, then I get this, you know? And I think having that vision and that mission of like, yeah, I could go buy an action figure or whatever, you know, and like get that instantaneous gratification or I could wait and get what I really, really want. And I think for a lot of people with home ownership, that's, that's what, I mean, I sit down with so many younger couples and they're kind of like, well, my parents didn't give me any money for this or I didn't, you know, like I, you know, I haven't had anybody do this for me. And, you know, you can quickly kind of tell the people who were just trained to be disciplined and they're like, we did these little baby steps and we just, you know, ate the elephant one bite at a time and we, we, we saved up and here we are and we're ready to go. And that equity and that money that you put down is going to grow better most of the time than anything that you're going to put in the stock market. At least that's what we've seen, you know, historically. And I don't think that that's necessarily going to change. So... First of all, uh, that's a hard sell for a five-year-old and kudos <laughs> yeah, to you yeah. for actually yeah. doing that. My parents were just um, kind of crazy, I think. So. Yeah. <laughs> but that also required a lot of discipline on your part. And I think that's the thing that people will struggle with because when you break it down into those small numbers, it, it just seems doable, right? Yeah. But we live in, I, I always say that we live in this attention deficit generation. Yeah. Um, or it's more of a, I want it now generation. Yeah. Right. That we want things now and we don't want to wait. And that requires a lot of discipline. It requires a lot of wisdom. There's a level of patience. Um, and I think those things are in short supply. And I think... Yeah. That's what makes it even harder than every other challenge that presents by itself. Um, and I, yeah, I, I really hope for the coming generation, you know, Sadie's generation, that things are better in, in that respect and that they're able to make smarter choices. Because a lot of this is not necessarily in our control as well, because, you know, we're looking at bigger factors like the economy and policies. So a lot totally. of things are in play. But at least what we can do from our end, um, I really hope that, you know, Sadie and her generation can do that. But I really want to jump into the community aspect of it. Yeah. Um, because you're not just a realtor. You also do other things. You're involved in different things because you're also involved in church activities. Um, aren't you involved in like some coaching too? Do, do you coach uh, or do you use to coach? I used to coach. Yeah. I haven't coached my kids yet. That's on the radar. I think doing some okay. soccer. Coaching. Yeah. But, um, not, I haven't done anything with the kids yet. We have three, but they're just stepping their feet into the soccer stuff right now. So, um, yeah, 
Are these conscious efforts to just be more involved with the community, to be more involved with people, getting to know people, all of that? Or is that just something that hasn't really crossed your mind when it comes to the other things outside of work? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, you know, for me, um, you know, I, I think the for the ministry component of it, especially like to be able to have a job that allows me to do um, you know, both is amazing because I, I served on staff for like eight months as youth pastor at the point and really had this kind of like, almost like a, a, a crossroads experience where you're trying to figure out, okay, I could go into ministry full time, you know, or I could go into business full time, you know, and it's like, okay, God, which one do you want me to go? And I realized as I've, as I've looked back on that, and this was in 2015, that, I didn't have to be one or the other. It could be both. And I think that that's one right. of the things about life as well that's really fluid is, you know, I think our culture likes to think about, okay, go to college, pick a degree. That's what you're going to be doing. You know, get on the assembly line and go. And, you know, I think now more than ever with the way that, you know, technology is, the access of information, um, networking, like there's so many awesome things that you can do. And also just because you pick one discipline, you know, you're not hedged into one little area. There's, there's like a whole world in each discipline, like real estate has so much to it. I mean, of course I sell houses, you know, but I mean, you could work for a university, you know, helping them find properties for, for their, for their, you know, um, endowment, you know, there's, you know, you could do commercial. Um, I know with what you do, you know, like in medicine and in being doctor, you know, there's like, there's all kinds of stuff that you can do, you know? So, um, so I think like for me, the community part of it is really my heartbeat. I mean, that's really what keeps me going. Like I love people. I've always loved people. I always wanted to do something that involved a lot of people. And, you know, and you mentioned that earlier, it's really cool. We tried to sit down and figure it out how many people you interact with in a normal transaction by the time you close, like, you know, attorney title examiner, like, you know, uh, surveyor, like, I mean, you could literally interact with like 50 or 60 people that you've maybe never like been, you know, involved with when you're coming into a community, which I think is pretty cool, you know, and we're yeah. kind of like in the gatekeeper and like the liaison for all of those connections. And, um, one of my favorite things is like doing that matchmaking, like, Oh, you don't know this person? You would love this person. Like, you should know this person. Yeah. So, yeah. You, you know, I always used to think um, that because I'm an introvert by nature, um, if you said, okay, you, have, you don't have to interact with anybody today. All you have to do <laughs> yeah. is sit at your desk, you know, sit at just work the full day. And when you're done, you do your own thing. You can read a book, watch a movie, whatever. To me, that for a long time, that seemed like that's the perfect day for me because I don't have to interact with anyone else socially. All of that changed in 2020 when COVID-19 came along. Yeah. At first, you know, when everything, you know, a lot of jobs went remote, fully remote. I was like, this is it. This is, this is perfect for me. <laughs> yeah. But a month later, I realized, wait a minute, I, I need more interactions. <laughs> I need yeah. because humans are social beings we cannot isolate ourselves and yeah. survive and you know especially nowadays when you read reports or see something in the news about how loneliness is such a huge issue especially in 
you know, among younger people, even though we are more connected than ever, people are also feeling more lonelier yeah. than ever. Yeah. Right. And I'm, I'm just thinking, how, how does this look? How, how does this change in, or how is the COVID 19 pandemic, how has that changed our changed the way we interact with people? Um, how is that going to change kids like the way because kids, you know, uh, especially kids who were born in the last couple of years, you know, that would include both Amelia um, and Sadie. Sure. When they were Absolutely. born. It was right after the onset of the pandemic. And yeah, we had so many restrictions, people not really interacting the way they used to. And so a lot of kids grew up, the kids who were born in the last few years, they are being raised in this environment and you as a young father too. Yeah, sure. How do you see the change or the effect, the long-term effects of uh, pandemic on two respects? One, the way we interact with each other and also on the young generation that is growing up now. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I mean, because we we literally had our our son, like he's 15 months, and my wife had COVID while she was having him, and so they put us like on the COVID wing of the hospital, and like yeah. we were kind of at the end of this hall. I mean, I had the lady like had to drop food out the side of the door. It was like we were in prison or something um, for a little while. <laughs> um, so that was really isolating and felt really weird, especially as somebody who wanted to walk around the hospital and like talk to people. You know what I mean? And yeah. said that when you're stuck in those situations. I, I think these are great questions. I mean, I think, you know, I think for the little ones right now, I mean, I think we've had the blessing that we didn't have a kid in school, you know, um, like, or like that really felt that COVID year because I've talked with clients who, you know, whose children really like lost that year um, of learning. And I think, you know, going from being totally in person to being online or being hybrid and then trying to figure that out um, you know, for some kids, like, like you said, for some kids, it was like a blessing. Other kids, I think it was a huge stressor and probably like a very, very tough thing. I think overall, culturally, what I've seen is it's made people a little more flexible and fluid on what community looks like on what, um, you know, what people can kind of, um, get from like, even online meetings. I mean, you know, like, um, I mean, we were meeting as a community group during COVID, online and i feel like if we hadn't done that and not having that rock and having that connection you know and just said you know what we're not going to do this it's too hard um or it's too weird it's too different you know those relationships that have lasted through that and stood that test of of time um i i think from a professional perspective like even you know i'm on the board of our association for charlottesville association of realtors and we've we've made the choice with our education, like in our continuing education that they need to be hybrid. You know, you need, people need to have the op option to either do it on zoom or that they can come in person because, you know, there's two different kind of mindsets and, you know, some people really love that autonomy of being able to just kind of keep going on other stuff and listen and be able to, mm -hmm. you know, and so I think it's, I think it's made some good inroads with the way that we're transferring information, the way we're teaching information um, you know, for a lot of different learning styles, it'll be interesting, I think, to see how it impacts, like, you know, our, our kiddos and the generations, um, you know, like what will they, I mean, I think it's definitely one of those things they'll look back and they'll ask us, like, do you remember when this started? Do you remember <laughs> what it felt like? 
you know, just like when we ask our parents about like when the space shuttle blew up or like, you know, certain things that were like hallmarks of different generations, yeah. you know, um, but I also think there'll be some case studies that will come out, you know, about how, you know, kids didn't learn facial expressions because of the masks and stuff for a while, you know, and those sorts of things. Yeah. So, so. learn to focus on the eyes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and your eyes are very expressive, you know, it's like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I learned to express a lot with my eyes because, uh, especially in my line of work, when you're, you know, you're meeting people, especially like meeting people for the first time and my, my, I can have like a dry sense of humor. Now, if I say something, something that is borderline sarcastic, like the other person may not get it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I learned yeah. to really emote with my eyes so that people get it that I'm yeah. just joking. So it's right. Yeah. Some of the soft skills that you learn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's right. I mean, that's uh yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that question will come up in, in the future for both my girls that they're going to ask, like, especially when they understand or they realize that they were born at this time, you know, post uh, pandemic. Um, and so that kind of brings me to ask you, since you're a parent yourself, and I think we're kind of in the similar stage, you know, as yeah, far as sure. the age of kids and all of that. Um, Absolutely. Nor normally, I would ask someone like, what parenting advice do you have for me? But in your case, since we're kind of in the same boat, let yeah. me change that up a little bit. And I'll ask you, what is the best advice that you've ever received yeah, as far as parenting goes? I still find it so cliche because I think we're in it and it's like, yeah, um, it's this like idea that the days are long, but the years are short is what they say when you have little kids. And it makes me frustrated yeah. because it's like you always hear it from like some old lady at Cracker Barrel or something. Um, <laughs> and like they mean really they well. They grow up so like, fast. That's yeah. The most yeah. common one that I've heard. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and you're like, oh, we know, like, geez, like give us yeah. a break. You know, like this day has been <laughs> so rough. Like. And, and, you know, it, it, raising little kids is not for the faint of heart. Um, I had a conversation with a guy the other day and he was saying like, they've done studies that young parents are actually some of the most depressed that are on the planet. But when you go back and look, this is a really funny study. Um, when you go back and look at it from a long perspective out, you forget all of that and you just remember all the good stuff. And it's because it's stressful. There's a lot of stresses, you know, it's like yeah. you're trying to manage you know, money, you're trying to manage a, a marriage, you're trying to manage, you know, the stress of, of figuring parenting out, like nobody's, you know, like you said, there's advice, there's yeah. all this advice. But I think my, yeah. I've learned a lot from that statement of like, the days are long, but the years are short. And I think it's, you know, we, we have potentially 18, you know, you have 18 Christmases before they leave the house, you know, you have, you know, 12 let's say 12 years where they actually understand what you're talking about like on some <laughs> fundamental foundational philosophical level about self-control or about discipline or about money or you know these big things yeah. we've been talking about today and so for me i'm trying to burn that into my into my like understanding that you know god's given us these little ones for this time and we have to be really really intentional with our time with them. So, you know, uh, it's not necessarily a piece of advice, but uh, it's almost, it's a piece of insight that a former colleague of mine shared with me. She said that between the ages of six and 10, 
That's like the sweet spot. That's when、yeah. your kids want to hang out with you, because before six, they're too young and they want to, you know, they just do their own thing. And after ten,、yep. they get their own friends and they want to hang out with them.、Uh, but between six and ten, you know, they like you. They actually want to be <laughs> with you. So make use of that time. Just enjoy that time because once they hit ten, that's it. They're they have their own friends. They have their own stuff to、right. do. Right.、Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 That's really good advice.、Uh, I think really solid. Yeah. We have a six-year-old, and I will say, you know, this year has been really sweet, and she.、Um, She asks some really good questions, very insightful,、um, and starting to understand how like how things go. She's really inquisitive. I, mean, I was giving her a hard time in the car this morning. I was like, "Why do you ask so many questions?" She's like, "I'm trying to figure it all out, Dad." I was like, "I understand, sweetheart." So, wow. Well, Amelia is in that stage where her favorite word is "why." Like, <laughs>、yeah. Literally, everything that we say is followed by a "why." <laughs> so, and I'm thinking, well, the questions are only going to increase from here. So, oh yeah,、uh, definitely looking forward to that one. So, <laughs> well, Josh, thank you so much for your time.、Uh, well, more than anything, first of all, thank you for helping us buy our first house. That was such a big deal for us. Yeah,、um, and I know we've stayed in touch over the last couple of years,、um, but it was such a big thing because buying your House, or but but at least the first time, you know, when you're buying your house for the first time, there are so many things that you don't know. Like the average home buyer doesn't know. It is very overwhelming. There's just so many things to keep track of, so many things to be aware of, and then it just goes on from there. You know, once you bought your home,、yeah. it doesn't end there. You know, we are learning. We're still learning a lot of things about managing. Uh, yeah,、house. right. So yes, but you made that first part so much easier for us, and so you know, forever we're in- indebted to you for that, and we appreciate your help and for what you do on a day-to-day basis in in your job as a realtor to helping people make wise decisions and helping them realize their dreams. So thank you for all of that, and、uh, sure. I look forward to what you do and.、Uh, Yeah. Whenever you hear any good insights for for parenting, please let me know as well. <laughs> yeah. Same. Yeah. We're in this together. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, thank you for for inviting me and and just in, incredible、um, vision and what a beautiful gift to give to your daughter、um, of this、um, and just、uh, really really inspiring. So, yeah. Thanks, Benny. Once again, thanks to Josh for his time and insights. Next time, we are going to take a slight detour and talk about something most people may not identify with or even care about. Except to truly know me, you have to understand why I love cricket. Till then, thanks for listening, and your Sadie, Papa loves you. Sadie, I hope you see the world in its brightest colors.